Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-host, Mickey Turner. This is the other voice that you hear. Tim Foss. Of course, Ari Lillian Wall. This has been an extremely weird podcast. Getting dragged all day. So the bottom line is they, they don't have an answer to that. There's a reason they got signed to first team contracts. And if you're not going to give them respect for that, then have fun losing again next Very year. special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounders. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. Joining me this week is Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Mickey Turner. Say hi, everyone. Hello, everyone. Hey. So uh, another another week is in the books. The Sounders are still undefeated at one zero and one. That's and I'm I'm sticking with the uh, win loss tie form like form there. I hope you guys are okay with that. I got actually some really interesting insight that I'm not going to get into on this show about what's going on behind the scenes at MLS Soccer that is driving this wackiness with their website. But that's another topic for another show. I assume it's uh, all Ari's fault. It's all Ari's fault. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but the Sounders are coming off a tie against LAFC. I think if it's a, one of those of two minds uh, conversations, if you would, I'm sure all of us would have said if the Sounders are undefeated after two weeks, they'd be very happy. But I think it's very fair to look at that LAFC game, look at who they were missing, look at how they got their goal look at the run of play and feel like, ah, maybe the Sounders left two points on the table there. Let's just start simply there. What do you, what did you guys make is, was a tie, maybe a fair result, but is that, did the Sounders leave points on the table on that one? Uh, I, you know, going back and uh, rewatching the game, I think it's, you can make an argument both ways. Uh, whenever you go to LA, I think you have to say that you and pick up a point. You have to say that's a good thing unless the other team goes down to 10 men or something like that. Um, and for the first, I don't know, 15 minutes of the game, LAFC looked pretty good uh, pressing the Sounders. Uh, they probably deserved a goal uh, on balance, even if we, we can probably talk about how they scored that goal uh, shortly. <laughs> but, you know, that being said, for the rest of the game, I think the Sounders were pretty much in control. You know, they got turned over a little bit here and there, but, you know, by and large, they created most of the possession, most of the chances. Um, and so, and, you know, especially when you consider Rudy as in late in the game had that, you know, just awesome chance to give them the, the game. Um, so on balance, I'm not upset with the point, even if you thought, you know, looking on balance that they probably should have gotten all three, but, you know, on balance, satisfied. Yeah, I think, I mean, I touched on it in the recap that I wrote, but it certainly was a result that if you going into the game offered, you know, a 1-1 draw, no injuries come out of this one, you probably take that, um, especially on the road against LAFC, even if they're missing players. Watching the game, it certainly felt like they could have gotten more out of it, but hard to really be too frustrated out of not getting a win um as much as yeah it's they 
could have had better finishing or could have prevented that goal, but it's still very early in the season after no real preseason as far as like competitive preseason games. So if that's what they get while they're still shaking the rust off, I'm going to be relatively pleased with that. Yeah, I think it it really felt like an afternoon match in LA. Like there was a little bit of weird stuff coming out of the gate. Um, and then it just kind of, it settled down. And there we like, I guess we had a few chances. Like there was the one where Christian sent it off the post and then roll at the end. But overall, it wasn't that exciting of a match. I don't think if I'm remembering correctly. Um, I mean, I think we could have done better, but I also think we probably could have done a lot worse. And so I'm fine with a point. But you know, it's probably worth reminding everyone the Sounders have never before claimed a point at LAFC in the regular season. They they'd gone zero and three there in their previous three regular season trips. Uh, most recently, they they lost that game three to one last year, where they seemed like they were the better team, but they they ended up giving up three pretty frustrating goals, uh, all well taken, but just kind of against the run of play and whatnot. So it's it's been a place the Sounders have struggled to play. So a point there, I think, in that context probably is is a good result. And I, and I think you're right, Beth. There wasn't a lot of chances either way. Uh, the, the Sounders didn't give up a ton to LAFC. There was one, the one that stands out, Mark Anthony Kay had a, had a late run where he, he ended up putting it wide that looked like it may have beaten Fry if he had kept it on frame. But really, other than that one, they and then the, I guess Mario put a ball I think off his arm on a set piece that looked like it could have gone in but it probably wouldn't have counted anyway so uh but it was yeah the Sounders like you you mentioned they they created some chances the one that I think is going to stand out to a lot of people and it's worth talking about is the goal that it comes in the first minute or actually technically the second minute but the foul comes in the first minute Javier Javier Arriaga gets beat he ends up having to foul uh, right on the outside of the box and then Edward Atuesta, who the Sounders have, have, know has a, is good at free kicks, uh, they let him shoot it essentially underneath the wall. How big of a mistake? You know, it's, it's funny because I feel like up until a couple of years ago, I think it was illegal to lay down behind the wall. But ever since then, that's become kind of like a standard practice, which I don't know. I, I think to me, the answer is not to lay down. It's to not jump. I mean, to getting it up and over the wall from 19 yards is a pretty big task. And it certainly it's tougher than shooting it under the wall. Um, where do you guys put the blame on that one? Uh, is that, is that one where the, the wall just needs to know not to jump, but they all jumped. So. Yeah. I mean, so I, I don't think having someone lay down behind the wall was illegal. I think it was just more akin to like shooting free throws underhand and that, Nobody did it because you'd get made fun of, essentially. <laughs> um, and then I don't remember if it was, it was either like the Iceland national team or some random like Michelin, some club team that started doing it and kind of like popularized it. But uh, I mean, I personally and I've never played at a particularly competitive level, but having played as a defender and a keeper, just hate the wall jumping because you are pretty unlikely to actually make much of an impact because most people from like a straight standing position don't have that impressive of a vertical jump. 
Um, and it's, you know, just much more embarrassing to have someone score by basically passing it under your wall when your wall jumps and generally jumping to your top corner is an easier save for a keeper than diving, especially as, you know, keepers seem to get taller and getting down low is harder. Um, but it definitely looks bad after Nuhu specifically asks, right. should I lay down? Fry says <laughs> no. And then either the like coaching direction is that on free kicks, the wall jumps because the wall jumped or Fry had specifically told them like, I want you guys to jump. So they all jumped and he got beat to his near post, which is like additional insult to injury because you never want to get beat to your near post. Um, So wherever the mistake happened, it was a mistake and it fortunately didn't cost him too much, but definitely not the way you want to start a game. I think I uh, put the blame on Ariaga for the foul in the first place. Uh, Yeah, that's fair. uh, You know, but that aside, um, I think, I think Tim's uh, pretty much got his spot on there. Uh, You know, I think the the thing that's probably the most galling for people is Nuhu asking if you should lay down and and Fry (laughs) casually waving him off. Uh, It's not so much that, you know, the uh, communication was bad. The communication was clear. Do not lay down behind the wall. Um, And, you know, again, getting then beat at your near post by a guy who has scored four goals against the Sounders, including a couple of, or at least one free kick. Obviously he scored that, uh, you know, really great goal in the uh, 2019 Western Conference final uh, to kick off the scoring before the Sounders uh, came back. So, you know, it's just kind of a breakdown in all areas there um, from the start, from fouling in that position to start uh, to not having your ducks in a row, whether you want to jump or not, um, and to not having new who uh, behind the wall, when he asks, uh, you know, fortunately he got the point out of the game, but you know, again, if you take that out of it, out of the equation, the Sounders were pretty good um, overall in the game. Uh, and you just wish they would not give up a goal like that, uh, especially that early in the game. Cause it has them obviously playing catch up for, for most of it. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they ended up playing 90 plus minutes after that without giving up great chances. So I think on the whole, you got to be probably pretty happy with the defense, but you, what were you going to say, Beth? Oh, I just think that I feel like I would have been a lot more frustrated with that play if it happened later in the season, but knowing yeah. that it's it's the second match and it was like a minute into the match with, I mean, I don't know if this is necessarily to blame, but like a new defensive shape with some new faces and new places. Um, it's not going to excuse the fact that they just like blatantly messed that up, but I think there's definitely like time to fix that. You'd like to think the that the, at the very least, it gives them time to correct whatever miscommunication happened there. They can now look back on it and say, remember that time where we got beat on this goal? And Let's... I'm pretty sure it'll never happen again. Right, exactly. So at least we got it out of a random game in LA at the beginning of the season that didn't really matter. So that doesn't happen in a random playoff game where you're like, uh, what? Right. Yeah, yeah I think and also there is something to be said for being able to properly scout who is, you know, kind of time and situation, the person taking the free kick in that, in that situation from that distance, what is the most likely way you're going to get scored upon? And I feel like the answer is how they scored upon you. And, and so I think, you know, as, as Beth said, there's kind of a lesson to be learned there. Um, You scout that a little bit better going into the future. You have better communication going into the future. And unless they just have some type of messy type moment, 
you're not likely to get that um, type of situation where you give up that type of goal again. Uh, so yeah, kind of a lesson learned and you just kind of move on from there. So on a, on a more positive note, the Sounders did get a, they did get a point. They got it through Brad Smith who scored a fine goal, you know, credit to him for being in the right place at the right time. You know, he is not someone who you expect to get a bunch of goals, but yet he's found himself in, in this position at the back post a couple times in the first two games where he's had a decent look on goal. It's, it's, I guess, encouraging that he continues to find that space because as long as he's going to be a left wing back, he needs to probably be in that space. But I think for me personally, and maybe this was overly harsh, but I don't know. I don't, maybe it wasn't. Uh, when he scored that goal, I made a comment on Twitter that said, funny that the guy who has been the worst Sounders worst player all game ends up getting the goal. And then he got pulled shortly after that, which I think sort of backed up my point that he wasn't having a great game, but what's been so weird about Brad Smith is that the passes he's missing are the exact kind of passes that I think we had all kind of grown accustomed to him completing. Like he's putting himself in great positions. He's, he's carrying the ball. Well, he's showing the legs to get into the attack and still get back in defense. These are all the things that we expected from him, but he's just missing passes that seem relatively simple passes that would get the offense into good positions. And it's baffling. Uh, he hasn't had a ton of turnovers in bad spots, but he's just not been nearly as effective as we're all used to him being. How worried is, is, are you guys about his, his lack of sharpness in the offensive third? I would say it's not nothing at this point. Uh, you know, Again, this kind of extends back to last year, which you could easily more forgive because he was coming off of his uh, stint with Bournemouth or Cardiff uh, or maybe a combination of the two um, where he didn't see much time. He comes in, uh, I think he had a knock too, and just wasn't really right. the same player that we were used to seeing. So, you know, you kind of wipe that off and then you got COVID as well. So, but this year he's had a full, you know, well, what, what passes for a full preseason uh, with the Sounders um, and now has had a couple of games and hasn't looked particularly great in either of them. At least, as you say, he's been good getting into good positions, but he's turned the ball over a little bit and has not completed passes that, as you say, we're not, uh, we're used to seeing him complete. So, uh, you know, this would be, I suppose it'd be a different thing if he was, you know, I left back, but as is at his left wing back, I think he's more required to get into those positions more often um, and provide the, uh, you know, the service uh, that we need to see him, uh, you know, contribute. And it just hasn't happened as of yet. Um, I'm hesitant to say you need to pull him right now. Um, if for no reason, I'm not sure who else they put in that position necessarily. Uh, but I think, you know, you're, you've got a couple more games. And then if, if the same things are happening, I think you got to look towards other options um, because, you know, at that point, you know, maybe it's just that's the player he is right now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's tough because I think we all have this image of Brad Smith as a particular type and level of player, even though he, in large part, hasn't really been super productive since he first joined the Sounders. Um, and granted, that involves last season, and I have a tough time really holding much against anyone last year because of all of the, you know, outside uh, factors involved with the pandemic and um, everything involved there. But 
I think the scoring the goal was nice. He is good at getting into those positions. He makes good runs and he times them well. Maybe the issues he's running into are a matter of rust and confidence that he, you know, did struggle last season. Preseason was weird this year. It might just take him a little while. He's kind of playing with people he's not as familiar with. Um, But it does seem like this role should suit him better. Like he should be, I mean, if he can get to the end line and cut the ball back to the penalty spot consistently, like that with this team could be a 10 assist season. Like if he is struggling to get to that point or to make the passes to allow that sort of thing to happen, then I think they do need to consider you know, is Kellen Rowe a better option there? Is, once he's healthy, Jimmy Madronda a better option there? If those guys don't work, like, do they maybe take a look at Alex Villanueva from Tacoma Defiance? Like, I, if Brad Smith continues to struggle in the ways that he's struggled, so far it's the mistakes have happened far enough up the field that it doesn't really hurt the Sounders, but I you know, that's not always going to be the case if he keeps making mistakes. I hopefully whatever the solution is can be figured out sooner rather than later before it costs him a game or something. But yeah, I just don't know what you do with Brad Smith at the moment. I'm choosing to be very optimistic about, about Brad Smith, mainly because I don't think we have a lot of options right now. So I'd rather he just be really good again. Um, but I did notice in pictures from the match that he's wearing a pretty substantial shoulder brace. And I don't think you can excuse all of his problems on that, but I would like to hope that it is an external factor causing his poor performance and not like an internal, he's just actually not very good at soccer factor. Um, And I remember Nuhu dislocated his shoulder twice and was in a pretty substantial brace. And it took him a few matches to get used to it where he didn't look like he was about to fall over. Um, So hopefully it's the same for Brad and we see in a few weeks, the shoulder brace comes off or he gets more used to it and he's back to making good passes and not bad ones because i like good ones better i will say that we've you know we focused so far in, on this on some frustrating parts of that game i do think that through two games there's a lot more to feel good about and i don't want to be overly negative about the center's performance uh you know you mentioned new who i think he's undeniably be one been one of the positives i would say he has been maybe the biggest revelation like he's been a borderline elite center back, at least through two games, you know, I don't remember him getting beaten in these games and I don't want to, you know, uh, jinx him on that, but he's, he's just looked very good. He's retained all the stuff that we love about Nuhu without losing it two games in he's been reasonably tested. He's, he's, he's passed with flying colors. I think that's great. Alex Roldan. Similarly, I think he has looked very much like a starting quality right back. You can kind of go down the list. And I think for the most part, the Sounders have, have done really well and they haven't obviously missed Nico Ladero, which I think is, is maybe the biggest thing. Uh, but the other player I wanted to talk a little bit about is Josh Atencio, who I know we talked about him a lot last week. He's kind of the person on the Sounders that I feel like is starting to get the most national level attention because he's a young kid kind of coming seemingly out of nowhere to, if you haven't really been paying to attention to the Sounders, but even for Sounders fans, I don't know how many of them really knew 
that much about him because they didn't see him play last year when he was playing at the, the last full season he had at the defiance was 2019 and he was playing mostly center back. So we haven't really seen him as a defensive midfielder for a long time. And I would not blame anyone for not really even realizing much about him as a defensive midfielder, but he has been extremely good. Uh, we were talking about it before the show. It's not just that he has looked competent. It's looked like, you know, he, he looks like the Sounders might have to move their formation around a little bit to make sure he's on the field because he's been that good. Yeah, it's been great to watch him develop. Uh, as you say, most of us didn't get a chance to see too much of him prior to uh, prior to last week. And I think my concern, and you referenced it, was whether he could translate to a defensive mid from the center back position he was playing with the defiance and just based on his kind of, you know, his, his size and athleticism to see if he could, you know, keep up with, uh, you know, attacking players running down the pitch. And it looks like he can. So that, you know, that kind of solves or resolves that issue. And so now that we know that he can play defensive midfield and he can do it at an MLS level and do it well, yeah, uh, you, you have to wonder, I think, at this point, what they do with when Ladero comes back. And that's not to say that he's going to take Ladero's spot. That is obviously clearly not going to happen. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, you may want to find a way to keep him on the on the pitch. I, I saw somewhere, uh, maybe in the comments at Sounder Hart, maybe you move Roldan um, out to Smith's position um, and, you know, keep Atencio and Ladero on there. I mean, maybe that's doing a little bit too much fantasy, uh, you know, fantasy booking, as they say to try to, you know, fit puzzle pieces in, but, you know, Roldan can certainly play out there if you needed him to, but I don't think that's his optimal position. Uh, so, you know, maybe at this point you just have to, he'll have to take a back seat when Ladero comes back a little bit. Um, and there will still be plenty of games for him to get into given the congestion that's about to ramp up. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's obviously been a pleasant surprise to see him uh, develop this way. And yeah, it's, it looked, Look forward to see what he does and what the Sounders do uh, when Ladero comes back. I, you know, one of the things I put forward on on Twitter, and and I think we've seen some allusion to it from Brian Schmetzer when, like, he was asked, "Is there?" A, I think someone straight up asked him, "Is there a path forward to him playing even when uh, when Ladero comes back?" And he just straight said, "Yes, there is," and and I think he means that beyond, you know him finding time when another midfielder is missing, you know, two real possibilities. There's probably three formations. I think that you could, that you could use him in that would make sense. One is a three, four, two, one, where essentially you, you keep the same formation, but instead of two forwards, you're playing with more of a two number tens, almost like, a, I guess that would be kind of like a Christmas tree formation. Maybe that's Nico Ladero and Freddie Montero. Maybe it's Nico Ladero and Christian Roldan. Uh, but then you you essentially keep Joao Paulo and and Josh Atencio as the as the base of of that formation. You still have wing backs. You could also go with a, a box, what they call a box midfield. We saw that New York Red Bulls were using that under Jesse Marsh. I think he may still be using that at Salzburg. Essentially, that would probably look like Ladero and Roldan up in front of again. Joe Paolo and, and Atencio, or you could use a diamond midfield where maybe Atencio sitting at the base of that diamond and you have Joe Paolo and Christian Roldan as kind of eights running alongside. And in the, the box and the diamond, obviously you're, you're sacrificing a center back to, to add a central midfielder. I don't know if, if 
anyone has particular thoughts on those formations or just more broadly on Josh Atencio and what we've seen out of him from two weeks in. I think one of the, the things that's interesting sort of looking, looking back on like past highlights and compilation videos of Atencio is that, um, you know, there really was serious debate over whether he was going to be a project as a center back or a defensive mid long-term. Um, and I think you can see the qualities that make him super appealing as a center back. It's very similar to why Javier Arriaga is a good center back. Um, but you watch Atencio play in MLS or look back on his highlights from the past and, I think one of the things that I've seen pointed out that really stands out is his ability to sort of like play on the half turn, which is kind of an obnoxious term to use, but that, that ability to in the midfield play sort of swiveled and then immediately scan and either find space to take on the dribble or find the best or like most optimal pass to make and that ability to then make those passes um, is really impressive. And some of that can be useful in a center back, but the, that ability to play sort of on a swivel really is underutilized anywhere outside of center midfield. Um, I think, you know, trying to find a formation that allows them to get all of these midfielders on the field at once is, really interesting i think a concern for me is that you you know with playing the boxer the diamond midfield you do lose that third center back which you know i maybe then knew who isn't starting or something which feels like a loss because he's been such a good center back like he's taken that to that new position so quickly and seemingly easily that you just sort of wonder like, why didn't they try doing this before? Right. Um, But you also then are less likely to be playing the wingbacks as wingbacks. They're probably playing as fullbacks, which is less sort of tailored to the guys that they have in those positions skill sets right now. It seems like maybe the better option would be to, you know, stick with this formation or a version of this formation and, Joao Paulo and Nico Ladero are guys who do not like to come off of the field. Neither does Christian, but particularly with Joao Paulo and Ladero, like they're not young guys as professional athletes go at this point. It might be more valuable to, you know, be able to spell them a little bit in the last 20, 25 minutes of games so that you can hopefully keep them on the field more long-term and that be where Atencio gets the minutes when everyone's available. Yeah, I certainly don't have a tactical solution for anyone here, <laughs> but I will say that I, I think there's been something interesting about how Josh's first two matches have been covered within like the commentators and on the internet um, about how his biggest selling point isn't how young he is, it's how good he is. Like you don't need to preface every time you talk about Josh Atencio with he's only 19 and look at him do this thing. Like you just, you tell about what he did and you show what he did and it's, it's just good by itself. 
Like, I think he fits into a competitive and seasoned Sounders lineup without you noticing that he's young and without completely disappearing because he's just not making mistakes. Like, he's impacting the matches in a way that, like, is really interesting to see that, I don't know, it's just good. Like, I feel like it's really hard for kids to break into the Sounders lineup. Like, we've seen a lot of people, they get to this point and they just can't make it and they go to other teams. But, like, Josh seems to be up for it, which I think is really exciting. And I'll, I'll contrast that with Danny Leva, who he had a great debut. He had a good run of games that was four or five games long. The Sounders weren't necessarily playing gangbusters in those games, which I think, and they were somewhat shorthanded. So it may be not a completely fair comparison. But I think with Leva, a lot of what people were excited about was projecting him out to being a a better play. He was 16 at the time. And like, wow, imagine what he's going to be when he's in his twenties and you can kind of like, well, he's, he's not making all these mistakes. And if he's not making the mistakes, eventually he's going to gain this confidence and he's going to be that player. Well, in a lot of ways, Josh Atencio, I think is at that level that we would have hoped that Danny Leva would have been at around this time, which isn't, you know, Danny Leva had a, a real loss of the year. Unlike Atencio who was healthy all last year was soaking in everything, was training every day. Leva really just wasn't able to play last year. And that, for a, especially for a young player, that's going to set him back. Uh, but I, I think that's the big difference here with Atencio is that, you know, he looks like he's, he's an MLS player regardless of all the caveats of his age. And that's what I think has me most excited. And the other thing that I think is worth pointing out that I think makes him why he's so much more intriguing as a defensive midfielder right now than he was as a center back. You look at how much ground he's covered in both games. He's covered over 12 kilometers, which according to second spectrum via Tom Bogert of uh, Twitter fame, he was the first week he, he covered the most ground of any of anyone in the league. And this week he scored, he covered the third most ground and what struck out what stuck uh, stood out to me was that it didn't look like he was just running around with a chicken, you know, like a chick with a chicken, uh, like a chicken with his head cut off. He was, you know, I actually assumed he would not have covered a lot of ground because it didn't look like he was just everywhere. He was playing very much within himself and he just happened to cover a ton of ground, which I think is super impressive that it didn't look like he was covering a ton of ground. So, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. Yeah, the only thing I, I uh, go back to to Leva just briefly uh, because uh, you raised some good points about how he's just kind of had a, a bad run of luck over the last year based on his injuries. Um, and back when he was playing, as you noted, they were shorthanded a lot of that time and weren't playing with a uh, a first choice lineup yeah. uh, for for much of it. And I would like to see him get the chance to uh, do what Atencio is now doing, which is even though the Suns aren't at hundred percent strength, uh, they're still pretty much uh, got their starters where they want them uh, with the exception of Ladero really and Morris, but he wasn't going to be here for the first half of the year anyway. So perhaps, yeah, if, if Leva can find his way into the lineup, uh, we would get a better representation of where his skill set and his development is at now. Um, but the problem obviously is he's coming off a year where he didn't get to do much of anything. Um, so uh, I'm hopeful that he will be able to show a little bit more uh, in these next uh, run of games when there is some congestion and they're likely to have to rotate um, and, and hopefully see where he, uh, if he's picked up where he left off uh, before he got injured. So one area where I, I, I wonder if there's a little bit of a red flag and I don't 
I wouldn't say that I'm overly concerned right now, but it has exposed one area of, of potential weakness in the roster is, you know, Freddie Montero got hurt sometime. We, we think uh, during, during post-game uh, cool-down, warm-up kind of activities that uh, where he was running sprints, people reported saying that he, he looked like he pulled up lame there. Uh, but he missed last week. I don't know if he's going to play this week. But it has exposed some lack of depth in terms of the attacking pieces. Ethan Doblair was the only player that was ostensibly an offensive uh, substitute that was able to come in this week. But behind, you know, once you have Will Bruin, I thought played well, even though he didn't get a shot off. Roll Rui Diaz was his normal dangerous self. But it seems like they could use another attacking piece to bring in off the bench, especially since you can't assume Freddie Montero is going to be healthy every game. You can't assume Will Bruin and Raul Rui Diaz are going to be available every game. You do probably need to do something there, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I know Loggerway has talked about the possibility of possibly like adding some of the younger guys who are still training with the first team who are either signed to defiance or are still Academy players. Um, And some of those guys play in somewhat more attacking roles. Um, I think probably a more likely solution if they're running into health issues that cut into the depth is, you know, maybe playing something like a, three, four, two, one, where it's not necessarily a two forward system and you could more effectively use like Ethan Doubler for a longer period of time or sign one Alvarez who I think has largely played as like an, a central attacking midfielder with the Academy. Um, they could still sign like Alec Diaz to the first team who seems like of the pure strikers in the system currently who's not signed to the first team, the most promising or most likely one to have an impact at that position. Um, They could also use Alfonso Campo Chavez there. I think they probably see him as a guy who needs to get time with defiance for this year, but if they need to, he is someone that they could use who I think could be, effective in a two forward system where, you know, maybe he's not being asked to hold off big MLS center backs as much and can sort of play more similarly to the way that like Freddie Montero plays as a second forward. Um, But I think it seems unlikely that they're going to bring someone from outside of the organization to solve that problem. Yeah, I don't see them really going uh, and bringing in Kai Kamara or, or uh, Dom Dwyer, one of those guys. Uh, number one, probably because they're more expensive for the budget, um, even though there's currently free agents and thus, uh, you know, the market you would assume is a little bit lower. But I think they're really saving up the money that they have uh, to make a splash in the midseason if they determine that they really need to bring someone in. Um and yeah, it was interesting that uh, Alfonso Campo Chavez, I don't know that he was injured or anything uh, of that nature, why they, he didn't even make the bench uh, for the Sounders and instead they had two, two keepers uh, on the bench for uh, LAFC. Um, and again, not that he would have necessarily played, 
ask, but you know, they have, they do have a couple of in-house options that um, don't require them to really do anything um, besides add, add them to the roster. Um, but beyond that, yeah, I, it's, it's a little tough to see what they do uh, before mid season, because again, it's, it's logways pretty much stated uh, philosophy to hold back a little bit to see where you are 10 to 15 to 17 games in, and then you can, you make the adjustments from there. And that's worked well in the past, uh, you know, 2015, they brought in, uh, you know, a bunch, uh, they brought in Leardom mid season when they were having a uh, right back crisis. So uh, again, it may be a situation where there's going to be a bit of growing pains and they're going to maybe short staffed just for this first part of the year um, and just kind of have to grin and bear it. And to be fair to them, they've already, incorporated uh, one of those young players in Atencio and that has worked out quite fantastically uh, thus far. So um, I'm inclined to give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, if they start to see some injuries to those key players then yeah, maybe the timeline has to accelerate, but for right now uh, you have to say that, you know, they're in a decent position. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I would consider it a problem yet. I think we see this almost every season where we think the depth's fine. And then all of a sudden there's a rash of injuries at one position. And we're like, how could we not have had seven forwards to <laughs> foresee that all of our forwards were going to get hurt at the same time. And like, I don't, I don't think it would be worth right now panicking and going and buying someone and putting yourself in a bad cap spot for in the summer. I think that's obviously going to be a better signing. Um, I think it's more of just relying on your good players. We, we have good attacking players that are, maybe sitting a bit deeper um, that aren't injured and we still have looked good in the attacks for the most part um, so I think this is more of just like a letting letting people get back to health letting the the new the new structure kind of get settled in and I think it I don't think it'll end up being a huge problem I mean unless like four more people get injured all of a sudden then then it would be a problem but hopefully that doesn't happen yeah, yeah. No, yeah. you got a pro you, you have a major problem anyway. Um, yeah. and, you know, let's not forget that Ladero's coming back here uh, very shortly. So that will certainly improve their uh, attacking prospects. Yeah, I think Montero not being available in this game was sort of, you know, how serious of an issue that is, is compounded by Ladero already not being available. And also just, I, you know, we haven't been at training, but as of a few weeks ago, I know that Ocampo Chavez was training with defiance. And as far as we know, the COVID protocols still make it just enough more difficult than usual for guys to move back and forth that if Freddie, you know, picked up some sort of knock following the previous game and they weren't certain that he wouldn't be available until a few days before the game that doesn't really leave you enough time to bring a guy up from defiance or necessarily to sign someone. And I think it probably would have been silly on their part to make that decision based on a few days of training. Um, so if Freddie is still not available this week, I think there's a, a possibility that they might, you know, have made the decision by then to, bring AOC up from defiance and he makes the bench or something. Um, it's all of those timelines are just that much longer because of all of the circumstances right now that like from a fan perspective, I think there needs to be a little bit more patience with those sorts of decisions. And I'll, and I'll add, I, I don't think it has 
even with the absences, I don't think it's gotten to a crisis point. You know, it has given a chance for them to get Dobelair onto the field a couple times. We had he hasn't had a chance to really do much aside from almost getting red carded in the in this like first moment, which for the record, I do not think was a particularly bad tackle. At first glance, it looked a lot worse than it really was, but he wins the ball. He's clearly going for the ball. That would have been a very harsh red, I think, if, if he had been kicked out of that one. Uh, but, you know, I also think it's given them a chance to try out this this three four two one, where they have cha- they've used this formation as a as a kind of late game formation, and it's been kind of an interesting look. So I'm 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 intrigued by that one, and it will be interesting to see if they they try to use that more often, especially after Rui Diaz goes to uh goes to world cup qualifying in the summer it would be interesting if the, if that's a uh, a look that they they go for uh but yeah i mean it's it's definitely not time to panic in terms of their roster construction i think we can sometimes get a little frustrated when we see you know either unused roster spots or we see three goalkeepers on the roster like we did this week but i don't know it's you're probably right it's probably a little too early to get too wrapped up in where there might be holes on this roster especially since they knew all along that this is what they were planning for, that it, the idea is to wait until the summer. And you don't want to blow that just because uh, you're looking for a fifth sub. Uh, <laughs> but I don't want to spend $250,000 or whatever it would cost to get a Kai Kamara just so you don't look like you have a, a hole in your roster. But anyway, uh, I, I think that's probably a good place to to call this one. We're, we're going to probably come back later in the week and, and do a little bit more of a formal preview of the galaxy game, which all of a sudden is a top of the table showdown. Uh, the winner of this one will likely be, if, if someone comes out the winner, they'll likely be sitting on top of the supporter shield race uh, through three weeks. So that's, that's one to look forward to. Um, does if anyone have any quick thoughts they want to share on, on that one or from LAFC before we get out of here? Um, I do think that Christian Roldan got kicked in the head in the penalty box, and that should have been at least a foul. That's that's all I've got for you. Yeah, I think the fact that Dobelair got a yellow for just a normal two guys trying to kick the same ball, and Christian Roldan got kicked in the head in the penalty area, <laughs> and it wasn't even a foul. That was that was a curious one. It would have seemed even more harsh if Dobelair had been red carded. Uh, with that I'm preparing context. my 1,000-word uh, dissertation on Chicharito. It'll be ready for the uh, the next podcast. Nice. <laughs> nice. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, that's a good place to call it. Thanks again for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time. This is the Sandra Hart Podcast. <laughs>